0: Great to see you in worship this morning. And uh, I'm glad to welcome you here. My name's Steve, and I think you're going to uh, feel that you've made a real good decision today by coming to worship. I'd like you to repeat after me. We just need to do this to get started. You'll understand that later in about an hour. But would you repeat after me? I will not, I will not make, fun, make fun, laugh, laugh point, point or, otherwise mention, or otherwise mention those people who show up in an hour. Who show up in an hour. Yeah, this. Um, congratulations to you. You've turned your clocks the right direction. When we get done in about an hour and go out for coffee, you're going to see some folks coming to church. You know, just smile and say hello. Glad you're here, and uh, they're going to be very confused why they're getting coffee, you know, and so forth. But anyhow, we'll we'll try not to laugh as people come in late. Okay, it is good to have you here. So why don't you turn to someone and welcome them to worship? and uh, congratulate them for setting their clocks forward. If my dad is anything, he is focused. When my dad was in his 40s, he went, as all men should do at about 40, to the doctor for a checkup. And the doctor said, you're fine, but you need to read this book. So my dad was given a little paperback book on aerobic exercise because my dad's work did not require any strenuous exercise. So, of course, my dad read the book. And then he went out and bought a cheap exercycle and began riding it in the garage religiously. And he wore it out. And then he bought another one and a bicycle. And that's about 38 years ago. And uh, I don't know how many exercycles or bicycles he's been through, but it's several. Like I say, my dad is focused, if he is anything, and disciplined. A few years ago, I was in Nicaragua church was doing mission trips there. And while I was there, I bought a small wooden cross with a little lanyard. You could wear it around your neck. And I bought several of them and gave a few of them away. And they were so popular, the next year when our church went down there, I said, give me a hundred of those crosses. So he got a hundred of them in Nicaragua, brought them back, gave one to my dad. He's worn that along with some other crosses that he has quite regularly. Well, about six months ago, he, he said he lost it. He said, did I leave it at your house or where? And I said, I haven't seen it. And so recently, he, kept, he said to me, Steve, do you have another cross? And I said, yeah, I've got still a few left. They're in my office somewhere. So every now and then, he says, did you find those crosses? And, you know, he asks me. I never remember to look. And last weekend, Dad was here. We had dinner. He was in worship. We had lunch, rather. And before lunch, while we're waiting around, guess what he asked me? Steve, where's the cross? Did you find those crosses? I said, oh, I, I forgot to look. Do you want me to go over to the church? I'll look. No, he said, don't you have one that you wear? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, where is it? And I said, well, it's probably on my dresser. So I went upstairs, I got the little wooden cross, I brought it down, and I said, here, I'll find another one. But uh, he was quite happy about having the cross. This morning, I would like for you to consider with me the cross. Jews have a star, the star of David. Everybody likes stars. Muslims have a moon, a silver moon or a crescent moon. Everybody likes the moon. The moon is magnificent. Hindus have a lotus flower. Flowers are beautiful. What's not to like about flowers? Buddhists have the eight-spoke wheel or a bodhi tree, something living or something to give direction What is the symbol of Christianity? It's certainly not a tall tower outside a church building, nor is it a steeple on a church building. That may signal to some Christianity, but that's not our symbol. Our symbol certainly isn't an animal, like a fish or a dove, although some Christians enjoy fish and doves as symbols. In the San Fernando Valley, back after World War II in the 50s, when American Baptist churches were being planted all around that valley in a great evangelism effort, uh, among the various logos that they adopted, one was this, an open Bible. Some of you may have seen it. But an open Bible was kind of the symbol or went on to the logo of all those churches. And it was quite a nice logo. But even though we are under the authority of the Bible, and even though the Bible is our rule of faith and practice as Baptists, Baptists have never claimed this is our symbol. We have one symbol, don't we? And it is the cross. Some of you perhaps are wearing a gold or silver or glass cross around your neck this morning. The cross. And whether we wear it made of wood carved in Nicaragua, or whether it's expensive gold with diamond settings, or whether it's... uh, made of glass, or whatever kind of cross you may wear, it's still just a cross. A cross. It's not something of beauty. It's actually a symbol of death. Christianity, without the cross, is rather like water without wetness, or fire without heat. The cross is our symbol, and it very well may be that it's the most recognized symbol in all the world. This morning, I invite you to consider with me the cross. Now, there's a cross behind us, right? Uh, there's the wooden cross here, and then there's always the cross that's in our baptistry. It's gold colored, it's nicely lit, and it's a beautiful cross. What do you notice about the cross that's in the baptistry other than what I've mentioned? It's lit up. Anything else? It's elevated. It's empty. There's no one on the cross. And in Protestant churches, and particularly Baptist churches, we wouldn't have a crucifix, would we? You go to a Catholic hospital or a Catholic institution. I stay at Catholic retreats frequently. There's always a cross in the room with Christ on the cross, a crucifix, to remind us of the passion of Jesus Christ. But we wouldn't do that in a Baptist church, would we? Are we in agreement? We're in agreement. Good. Well, I'd like you to look up to the left, the southwest corner of our building. You see that stained glass window? If anybody gets rich, we can enlarge it for you. But uh, what's, what's in that window? Those of you with young eyes. Speak up. Don't be embarrassed. Jesus on the cross. That's a crucifix, right? Jesus on the cross. As I was this morning, and walking around in this sanctuary during the week, I decided to check out the windows. And I someday would like to have a great photographer take pictures of all these windows and make bulletin covers out of them and make that a sermon series, but that's another day. But I said, surely there's a stained glass window in here with Christ on the cross. And yes, there is, right there, in a Baptist church. Wow. This morning, I want you to consider with me the cross. And we have been going through the book of Mark. We're reading through Mark this season, right? We're reading through Mark this season, right? Yes, good. You're going to read through Mark with me this season, right? If you'd like an outline, a guide, they're out on the table and you can pick one up. And as we go through Mark, we've noted that Mark is a man of, of few words. He has an economy of words as a storyteller. Obviously, he wasn't a Baptist preacher. Wasn't a preacher at all, I guess. But as we come to the book of Mark and the word cross, it actually only occurs four times in the book, and three of those times in chapter 15, the story of the trial and uh, primarily the... the um, crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And I want to pick up there in Mark chapter 15 today uh, and think about the word cross as it's used in the Gospel of Mark. In the setting, I'll just set the table for you, if you will. Jesus has been through the trial. It's now morning, and Pilate has been talking to the crowd, and the crowd has, of course, cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And so they take Jesus away out of the city to crucify Him. And you know the story. As they're leaving the city to go out to the place of crucifixion, they conscript one called Simon to carry the cross of Christ. And that's the first occurrence of the word in Mark 15. As they're going out to the scene, Simon is drafted to carry Jesus' cross. And he does. Now, as Jesus is crucified in His typical economy of words, Mark doesn't say much. Uh, it would be hard to make a movie out of what Mark has. You may think of the passion of a year ago and the long scene of the crucifixion of Christ where he's laid out on that cross and you hear the hammer and the nails and it's you, you want to cover your eyes. You don't want to watch the scene as Christ is nailed to the cross and it's set up and he hangs there and it's dropped in the ground and you hear the groans. Well, There's a lot of drama in that, but let me give you the four words Mark uses to describe the crucifixion. Mark simply says, and they crucified him. That's it. And they crucified him. He doesn't talk about the nails and all that other stuff. And then Mark goes on to say there was a sign above his head, King of the Jews. It was about nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. And on one side was one thief, and on the other side was the other thief. And Mark helps us understand the mood of the morning or the day as there are passerbys. They're outside the city. It's it's a well-traveled place. And as people go by, what was it like? And Mark picks up on that, and he says that like people would throw stones at a stray dog, the people hurled insults at Jesus and those dying there you know what they said? Come down from the cross. Come down from the cross. If you're so big, if you're really that good, get off the cross. And immediately, Mark picks that theme up with the religious leaders that we've read so much about, and they too speak to Jesus, and they say to Him, You said you were the Messiah. You say you're the Son of God. You say, destroy this temple and in three days I can raise it up again. If you are who you say you are, come down from the cross and save yourself. And that's the third time the word's used in the book of Mark. The last time, actually. Three times in chapter 15. And there you have it. Literally, in the Gospel of Mark, the cross isn't much. The crucifixion isn't spoken of often. The scene actually closes with Jesus crying out, <clears throat> My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you can see him looking to heaven, forsaken by God. And Mark says, moments later, Jesus breathed his last. Forsaken, dead. Dead. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses, the lawgiver, wrote, Anyone who hangs on a pole is under God's curse. And there was Jesus, hanging on a pole. What about the cross? (laughs) A lovely symbol you wear, ma'am, right? Hanging around your neck, it looks so good. It's a symbol of one thing, and one thing only, death. What about the cross? I'm thinking this weekend of two women who have talked to me in the last few days with tears. Their husbands have left and their hearts are broken. What do I say to a woman like that, forsaken by her husband? My heart breaks as I tell you about Christina. She walked into our office a few weeks ago. She said, may I hand you something? She had a box of flyers, and she handed a flyer to us. And Kelly was sitting there, on the we were standing on, by the desk, Kelly was sitting on the desk, I was sitting on the desk, Laura was standing there, and we were caught a bit off guard, and I thought she was selling something, Girl Scout cookies maybe, I don't know. And so before Christina turned to leave, I said, wait a minute, what's, what's, about the, what's the flyer about? And she said, it's about me, I want to be adopted. And we read the flyer with tears filling our eyes of a 16-year-old who said, I've lived all my life in foster care and the county supervisors keep saying they'll find me parents, but I don't think I can trust them anymore. And I just want a mom and a dad and someone to love me, to be there when I get married, to see my children as they grow up. And I can't get Christina off my mind. And I told my brother... In his church in Chula Vista, he talked about the foster care children there and made the comment, you know, once a kid gets five or six years old, they're just not going to get adopted. And so I think about the thousands of children in L.A. and San Diego, forsaken, lonely. Or what about the guys who come by? Every week somebody comes by, they're homeless, defeated by life, discouraged, perhaps depressed. What do I say to those men? Well, I know this much. I can point to the cross. Because on the cross is someone who was also forsaken, defeated, treated unjustly. Yes, Jesus knows about being hurt. Jesus knows about injustice. And one other matter about the cross before we close. From the Gospel of Mark, I'm speaking Just from Mark, as we go through Mark, you do not learn from Mark that Jesus died on the cross for you. You don't learn from Mark that your sins can be forgiven by the cross. You don't learn from Mark, for example, that through the cross you can have peace with God. Jesus only makes one reference, and that is, he says, I'm giving my life as a ransom for many. And that's about all he says about the meaning of the cross. And one other thing. The only reference to the cross by Jesus is where he actually uses the word, is right in the middle of the book. But before we come to that, there's a word that you probably missed in the Gospel of Mark as you read through it. Twenty-five words into the story told by Mark is the word H. It it would be spelled in English, O-D-O-S, hadas. It's a Greek word, simple word. It means way, road, journey. And as Mark begins to write, he takes from the lips of Isaiah the following expression. He said, the messenger is going to what? Prepare the way. The way of what? The way of the Lord. And that's how he introduces the story of Jesus to us. Somebody's coming, and of course John the Baptist has the message, and he said, somebody's coming, prepare the way of the Lord. And throughout the book, 16 times, his word crops up. And Jesus says, come along, join me, where? On the way. In fact, it's so popular that one scholar has written a little book on Mark called The Way of the Cross. As Jesus moves from his place of birth from Galilee down south to Jerusalem and to, what? The cross. This morning, it's not only Jesus who has a cross, because there in the heart of the gospel where Jesus speaks about the cross, he says this, let me read the words from Mark 8.34. This is the other usage of the word cross. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. Aha. The cross isn't just for Jesus, is it? Everybody, he says, may have a cross to bear. Everyone who decides to come after me is going to carry a cross. And as Mark's readers heard those words, Mark was writing to a persecuted church and he was trying to encourage them, don't stop. If Caesar comes up to you or a soldier and says, is it Christ or Caesar? Say Christ, even if it costs you your life. And it did. Some of them died at the hands of the Roman government. Why? Because they confessed, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And so when Mark wrote these words, quoting Jesus, it was pretty serious. Jesus saying, If anyone will come after me, let them deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. Mark is really asking us a question about our loyalty. To whom are you loyal? Who's at the center of your life? Sometimes Steve's right here, center stage. I'm going to do what I want to do. Sometimes, uh, Maybe Joyce is center stage. I better do what Joyce says. Sometimes the church is center stage. Well, you know, I don't want to get kicked out. I better do what the Baptist church wants me to do. Don't talk about a crucifix in the Baptist church. You know what I mean. We all go our own way, don't we? But you're here this morning because in some way you profess Christ. You're a believer. And Christ has called you to His way. And so even today, he talks to us about our loyalties. If you're going to follow me, he says, you have to deny yourself. You take self off the throne, you put Christ on. And you take up your cross and follow me. Are you here today and perhaps you've lost your way? Perhaps you are going the wrong direction. Or maybe you're here today and you feel forsaken or lonely or that injustices have been done to you. Well, this morning, I'm sorry. I cannot point you to a shiny star in the sky that lights it up, and we all say, oh, that's beautiful. I can't point you to a moon reflecting the light of another, and we say, oh, the magnificent moon. I can't point you to something living, a blooming flower, for example, and say, oh, look at the flower, and it reminds us of this. But I can point you to the cross. Where somebody died, and he died for you. He died forsaken, he died alone, and he died so that you and I might know life. The cross is the symbol of us, all those who follow Jesus. You and I do not live, thank God, in times like the day of Mark. We don't live in times times of persecution. Nobody asks whether you believe in George Bush or Jesus. We laugh at the thought. And so it's good to know that probably somebody's not going to put a gun to our head and say, Do you believe in Jesus? And yet, and yet, seven years ago this month, a girl named Cassie walked into her high school to have a nice day. And before that day was over, a young man whose heart was filled with evil put a gun to her head and said, Do you believe in God? And instantly she said, Yes. And he said, Why? And before she could answer, he pulled the trigger. And Cassie Burnell died at Columbine. Jesus said, If anyone will come after me, let them deny themselves. Take up the cross and follow me. I'd like you to picture Jesus. Hands outstretched, not on the cross, but today. Bidding you come to Him. And as you look at His face, your hands shift to His palms. And you see the nail prints. And as you come to Jesus, He puts His arms around you. And He embraces you and He loves you with the love of God and the forgiveness of God. And He says, friend, welcome home. And He whispers in your ear, I love you. I love you. Look at the cross. This morning, we're going to break bread together and drink the cup. As Jesus said, so that we might remember the cross. And I'm going to invite those who are serving us to come forward now and be seated on the front row and Jennifer's going to come and read the scripture that prepares us to break bread together. Mark 14:22 through 25. While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, And after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let us pray.